Hi, Katie here in Rome. If you listen to the podcast a lot and you haven't yet donated, please visit the donate page on our website, thebittersweetlife.net. Whatever you can give is so welcome and we're so thankful for it, you can't even believe. A little bit goes a long way, particularly when you're supporting art that's just coming from the ground up. Thank you so much for your support and for listening. It's nice to go on this journey together. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm sitting in a neighborhood called Testaccio, which is in Rome, an up-and-coming neighborhood. Some would say it's already arrived. There are a lot of artists in this neighborhood, and it's much more industrial-looking than the old part of Rome. I'm sitting here because I'm about to have lunch and interview my only Italian friend that I made while I was living overseas as an expat in Rome. His name is Ugo and he's a reporter, although I believe he has a much more interesting title than that. We were put in touch by somebody I knew in Seattle, an author named Garth Stein, who hearing that I was going to move to Rome told me that this was the one person that I absolutely had to meet while I was there. And I'm glad I did. And I thought that you all would enjoy meeting him as well, because he is quite a character and a really smart guy on top of that. I arrived a little early, so I think I'll just sit here on my little perch that I found and watch the traffic go by until he arrives. And then I'll have him introduce himself to you. You should introduce who you are, because I don't know what your whole title is or... (laughs) I'm Ugo Barbara. I am a journalist and a writer. I work for uh, AGI, which is the second major uh, newswire in Italy. And I am in charge for the web section, our website, agi.it. We were just talking over lunch about how hard it is to get certain jobs in Italy. How did you work your way up into this position? Oh, actually, I was one of the first in Italy who, who went to a, a journalist school. There was a totally new things in, uh, in in Italy. For that, you have to wait for years into uh, a newsroom working as a, we call them a black man, and wait for the day to have a lifetime contract. But I was one of the first ones to have this opportunity to, to be in, in a school of journalism. It was a great experience. And then I stepped into this place, which is AGI. Actually, I thought that it wasn't my place. My destiny was in a big newspaper. You know, writing with your name in evidence and all this <laughs> stuff. But uh, actually, what happened was that I fell in love with the work in the newsroom of a newswire when you have to run so fast and you can stop just for a second. And now it's like, I mean, being drug addicted. And I, uh, <laughs> When I am at home for holidays, or I, I feel guilty because the, the world is going on without me. I, I love, actually, the working for a news agency. So how does being a fiction writer fit into that? I was a writer before being a journalist. Somebody may think that a journalist is a frustrated writer. But actually, <laughs> actually fortunately, it's not my case because I try to keep things very uh, separate. Uh, the story that I wrote for my newsroom 
are not the same that I write in my in my books. A couple of time more than a couple of time, my job gave me the inspiration for my novels. But what people told me when they read my books is, oh, I didn't believe that a news agency journalist can write a book in that way. So I, I think it's a compliment. I'm not sure about it. <laughs> right, what kind of books do you write? So I wrote six novels. Four, actually, four of them are thriller. A couple of them are inspired by a real story. One is The Corruptor. Another is about a, a very famous story in Italy, but in the entire Europe, which is the kidnapping of a very young girl in Vatican City. Then uh, my last novel that came out in uh, last April, it's about uh, actually my grandma real story during the Second World War in, uh, in Italy. So it's what we call a family story. I'm going to ask this selfishly because I, I've always wanted to be a person who wrote more than I do because I, I was trained to be a writer, not a journalist initially. I was opposite you, trained to be a writer, not a journalist. But I find that it's really hard to find the time to actually do it. But is that just my own problem where I'm just not finding the time to do I'm putting it off. How do you do it? Like, how do you write a book and work here all the time? Uh, the problem is that when you love both things, I mean, if you love being a journalist and love being a writer, it's very difficult to, it's very hard to sacrifice time in one of them. What I do is I move with public transportation. And so I have like 15 minutes per day of coming back to home. And okay, those uh, minutes are only for writing. I just shut off the phone, tap the, you know, uh, Facebook, Twitter, <laughs> and concentrate on my laptop. Funny because what happens is that your brain gets used to that situation. It doesn't matter if the train is full of people, if it's noisy or anything. Just when you open the, the laptop, your brain realizes, okay, it's writing time and it shuts on writing mode. So it's, it's easy. Like for me, it's easier now to write when I am on the train than when I am at home on my desk. So the, I think that the important thing is that you try to find a time and a place where you do only that. Mm, dedicated place and time dedicated to writing and try to be uh, more regular than you can. And I mean, it's, a, it's, like, it's like an exercise. I mean, you have to be used to do it and your brain will follow you and your imagination too. Every day though. Everyone always says you have to do it every day. Uh, we can say from Monday to Friday. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that will be, that'll be good. Well, one of the things I thought would be funny because you met me as an expat living in Rome. Can you tell me what the Romans feel about all the expats that live from your point of view? There's some, what, there's something like 100,000 expats that live in, in this area. What do they really think about us? Golden chicken? I mean, <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, uh, actually, what the Roman thinks about everybody is not Roman is that then nobody will really understand Rome as they do. They are always making fun of people getting stuck on, you know, on all the beauty of, of the city. I mean, for the typical Roman, I'm not from Rome. I am from, from Sicily, so I am one of the expats, we can say. And... Uh, <laughs> I'm considered an expat by the real original Roman. I still get stuck when, for example, I see one, one of the beautiful uh, monuments or landscape in Rome. Mm -hmm. I say, oh, did you see what wonderful sunset? Yeah, we're in Rome. What do you expect? I mean, this is the, the, 
for them is the feeling that they have regarding the the expats is that even if they are already surprised and in love with the city they want them to be more in love with, with, with the city so even if they pretend to be oh okay yeah we're in Rome it's normal beauty is a common thing and that's it actually they want they are doing everything they can to let you fall in love more and more and more with the town because they think and actually probably they are right this is the most beautiful city in, in the world after that I can say that being here f- since 2000 years they feel that everybody else is a barbarian so for example it's absolutely impossible for us to so figure out that somebody is uh, drinking a cappuccino with a pizza it's a barbaric thing or or, or that you are having for example pasta with salad oh this is like cursing and uh, actually they have this kind of attitude okay to treat the expats like barbarian or in the best case as a golden chick but sometimes we as Italian feel like a sort of how can I say humble humbleness uh, uh, yeah uh, comparing to people like Americans or British or German but only for a matter of richness okay don't forget that the contemporary culture is based on the experience of the world and um, the experience that the Roman people had with Americans was this big tank coming from uh, the beaches of Antio and rolling into the town these big guys you know uh, who were eating meat since uh, years and years and years who did never ever experience feminine like was in Italy so they were pink and big and blonde and and you know and healthy and so since then, we still have this sort of, I can say, um, respect for not only people who came and freed us, but people who is still more powerful and richer than us. We pretty feel this thing. One of the things that I have heard from multiple Italians, what they think that we do in the United States is the number one question we ask people is, how much money do you make? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> have you heard that stereotype before? Um, actually, uh, what I heard that, that when I was living in New York, the first question that I had was, what's your name, where you're coming from, and how much do you earn? Uh, and actually, in Italy, uh, we are not that focused on money. You can have, for example, a wonderful house and be pretty poor. Or you can live a gorgeous life and earn less than teacher I mean it's not uh, it's not that important in Italy it's more important how do you spend your money more than how do you earn and how much do you earn considering that we live in in a country where where the government is taking care of you when you are retired and the government is taking care of you if you are sick you don't have to to fear to have a stroke so, because you don't have uh, in, enough money to pay it for the for the cure for example mm-hmm. it makes easier to live in uh, and money less important uh, than for another country like great britain or the united states probably but you know that that isn't what we actually ever ask people right Sorry? we never actually ask anyone 
how much they make because it's considered rude. We would ask them what they do. What do you do for a living? And we'll judge them accordingly <laughs> based on what they do for a living. But I don't know. Actually, I told you it it happened to me, uh, and so I can work for my. I, I can speak from my experience. Uh, but uh, probably I, I, I met only rude people, uh, I can say. You were in New York. Yeah, I was in New York. That's a stereotype. So probably if, yeah, if I were in Seattle, it didn't happen. But I, uh, I've been in Seattle. I actually didn't ask. Uh, I didn't remember if they asked me something like that. But actually, we have this view of the Americans to be pretty rude, like cowboys, you know, and yeah. People with no experience of the world. You know? uh, what, what we say is that, is that for the m majority of American people, the world starts in the West Coast and ends in the East Coast. Mm -hmm. And that, I don't, know, I don't remember which, with which percentage of Americans doesn't even have a, a passport. Uh, I mean, probably well, most of Italians have experience of people from New York, Miami, Chicago, Los Angeles, they have no idea or how they live in Oregon or Kentucky, uh, Ohio. Yeah. Probably it's more a way to make fun of your bigger and, and richer cousin mm -hmm. than to really think about Americans. Mm -hmm. I don't think that actually we, we really think that what Americans are focused on is earning. I don't think so. Well, it might be. It might be. Uh, <coughs> so I wanted to also ask you um, to explain a couple of things that while I was here, I never quite understood. Mm -hmm. If you can. Okay. okay. And one of them came up last night because it started to rain. There's a lot of men from Bangladesh around Rome that sell different products. And one of them is an umbrella. And the umbrella comes out immediately. Like the moment a drop comes, there are people with ponchos and umbrellas offering them to you <laughs> from out of nowhere. So that got us into a discussion of where do the umbrellas come from? Where are they hidden around the city? Because they've got to be somewhere nearby. But that gets at the larger question, who are these people and how did they all end up here? Um, as probably some of you knows already, um, immigration is a, a big issue right now in Italy and in entire Europe. Italians are pretending that immigration is a problem. Actually, it's not a problem, it's an opportunity. And the example of the uh, Bangladesh people coming out with the umbrella is like a metaphor of the situation. Immigrants are offering the solution, the, the, the very um, immediate solution to almost every problem in Italy. One of, of these problems, obviously, is the, the need for, for a low-cost job. Okay? For example, people picking up tomatoes in the field. There is no Italian who wants to do that job anymore. So there are people coming from Africa. They are employed in, in those kind of jobs. No Italians would keep an, a store open until midnight or, or for the entire night. So now the only shops that you find open 24 hours a day are run by people from Bangladesh. I think that what's happening in... in uh, it's all a matter of organization. Like everything, it's out of the state government in Italy, everything is out of the state government in Italy is well organized. Everything is in charge for government is a mess. If you need an umbrella, obviously it comes out immediately. If you need a beer in the middle of the night, obviously here there is a Bangladesh run shop open. 
and this is for many things. And what I think is, is happening in Italy right now is that every community is focusing on a business. So, for example, people from Bangladesh is focusing on commerce. People from Romania is focusing on buildings and carpeteering. Or, for example, people from uh, Africa is focusing on the agriculture job. So, sooner or later, it will happen what is going on today in New York. For example, there are se several communities who are who has their business. So they are taxi driver, they are policemen, they are umbrella seller, <laughs> and everybody is slowly finding their own place in Italy. It's not a, f uh, a very fast mechanism, but it's working. But only because it's self-organized and it's not in the hand of the government. In that case, it will be a mess. You won't find an umbrella in your entire city. One story that we were told was that it was in the hands of the mob or the mafia that some of these people are employed by them. Is that yeah. true as far as you know? Okay, obviously it's true. Everything that works <laughs> is <laughs> here is in the hand of somebody out of the laws. I know that it's very un unpopular to say that, but if you have to follow all the incredible rules that there are in Italy, you won't be able to do anything. Try to build a house in Italy. It's almost impossible. You have to have permits from like 10 different offices. You have to pay taxes to other 10 offices and you have to wait for a license. And, and it, it can be like a couple of years before you, before you have everything you need to build a house and at the time you have no money anymore so <laughs> you can build nothing but uh, that's why um, everything is run by people out of the law works because obviously they don't follow the, the, the rules to say that even those small business like the umbrella business are in the hand of the mob okay we consider mob something more serious than an umbrella affair for sure, we have a kind of um, phenomenon that, we, that is called, uh, is an impossible to translate word, which is caporalato, which means, for example, you are a farmer and you need 10 people to uh, pick up tomatoes in your field, okay? And you need it that day. You ask to somebody to go into a place where there are all those people from Africa who are waiting to be hired for a for just one day, they go with trucks, they load the trucks with people, they bring people to the, to the fields, they do the job for one or a couple of days for, for a very, very, very slow uh, fee. Mm -hmm. And then that's it. I mean, with no cover, with no social security, no uh, medical assistance, uh, uh, nothing. Uh, it's a black market, I mean, uh, black market for, for job. Can we call it mob probably yes we can call them mob and mobster even if they don't kill even if they don't rob anybody even if they don't blackmail anybody but it's a new kind of mob mm, probably we have to stop thinking about the uh, godfather style mobster and think more about people trying to you know move into the the blind spaces of the law to entrepreneur, lowest fare, job uh, use and, and, and drop, you know. Uh, 
it's uh, a world which is changing faces. Yeah, probably there are mobsters, but not in the way you think about mobsters. It wouldn't be that those guys are a slave to somebody else and can't go home at this point. The only slaves that can go around can, that are unable to mm, go back home in Italy are the prostitutes. Tell me about that. Um, the prostitution is probably, I think, the, like the third uh, after drug selling and uh, uh, racketeering. The uh, prostitution is the third incoming voice for cr criminal organization. Obviously, it includes certain amount of violence, big amount of violence. Most of them are girls coming from the Eastern Europe, probably with the perspective of a regular work in Italy. But once they are here, they get robbed from their they get uh, their passport off, and they are. Uh, close into an apartment, in, in an apartment, beating, violated, and then put into into the streets. Uh, we write daily about story like that uh, of of prostitutes uh, asking uh, for help to their clients, mm -hmm. and actually, probably the uh, Eastern Europe mob is the most violent and uh, in Italy right now. So they are very dangerous, and they have the slave concept in their uh, way to manage the, the, uh, their job. I wouldn't say that African people in the, in the tomato field are threatened by as uh, uh, slaves, but they can go home anytime they want. I mean, they are paid like slaves. They, uh, they have no uh, insurance at all, but Slavery is something difficult. Yes, is, is something different. Would you say that the the mafia, just to call it that, is as scary and big and dangerous as people in other countries who have just hear about the mafia think that it is, based on Hollywood movies or anything else? Oh, it's up on where you live. Uh, in the north of Italy, obviously, you won't see any uh, killings in the roads, for example, shootings or something like that. But you will have the white-collar mobster uh, making uh, business with the dirty money. Uh, if you move to the center of Italy, probably some of uh, your of our uh, listeners have heard about the big scandal, which is called Mafia Capital. They're discovering that many business in, in town were run by mobsters. For example, even the immigrants' hospitality was run by people close to the mob and to the mobsters. Or, uh, for example, the meal in the schools, they were managed by mobsters. Then you move further, further to, to the south, and then you get to the wild, wild west. I mean... <laughs> Yeah, like yesterday, in Naples, two cops were shot in the middle of the road, in uh, in plain day. I mean, like was like six p.m. Or if you go further south in 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 uh, in Sicily, there are entire community which are still in the hand of mobsters, who has a clean face of politicians. So I mean, it's very difficult on where you live, but definitely. Definitely in this country, criminal organization is still very deep into the structure of the state and runs many business. 
And the problem is that when you have so many rules to follow, it's hard to do business or to do anything without breaking at least one of the rules or asking for the help of somebody uh, who is ready to help you uh, and, and not in a clean way. So where do the, I think they're called the Roma, the people that everyone refers to as gypsies, even though yeah. that's kind of a mean term. Where do they fit into all of this? How do they? How do they fit into Roman society? Wow. Or how do you perceive them as part I of mean, this? Okay, let me, I'm popular again. <laughs> <And I laughs> forget about the politically correctness. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think, I never, I never met somebody in Italy who appreciate them. They are felt as a problem in every mm, step of the society. If you are rich, if you are poor, if you are if you live in the in the center, in the neighborhood of Rome or everywhere, everywhere you feel like gypsies or, or Roma people are um are a, a big problem. For example, one of the most powerful mobster family in Italy, in Rome, sorry, are the Casamonica, who are Roma people. So they are a problem. Who say that they aren't a problem is lying or has lost contact with the reality. But not only in Rome, they are a problem almost everywhere uh, in Italy. And I'm not saying that they are a problem is the way they are approaching the community life. Italian society has the guilt to never try to involve them in the community life, but they have the guilt, the responsibility to run a very close community, close, I mean, uh, not open to Italian society. I mean, they are never felt like a real part of the Italian people. They are somebody coming from nobody knows exactly where mm -hmm. and just creating problems. So they are actually a problem. To tell that they are not a problem and there is uh, something pumped by the right political parties, it's false. I mean, but the worst thing is that I don't think it's a problem that can be solved in any way. The situation is polarizing more and more. Now, probably for them, it's harder than 20 years ago. But it's the same for us, for Italian people, to cope with them. They don't even try to live into the area of, of the rules. They don't even try. But probably we are failing in showing them the benefits of living into the rules. Would their main problem be that they rob you? Uh, I mean, yeah. Is that too simple? <laughs> no, no, it's actually it's the truth. They have, one of them has like 10 or more different names. All it's fake, obviously. So you have someone then who has been arrested like uh, 100 times. I mean, they, not, they don't kill, they don't do very violent crime. But they are, for example, robber in the public transportation system, which is a very big problem, for example, for the tourists. In a city like Rome, living on tourism, it can be a problem. It is a problem. 
they, for example, uh, steal cars and sell parts of the car uh, and somewhere else. But they are not involved, for example, in drug selling. Some of them are involved in racketeering or loaning money, loaning money mm-hmm. uh, and having it back with b- very high interest. So, I mean, they are... Um, it's like they are structured to live outside the rules. They don't even try mm-hmm. to be inside the rules. So, it's like state and anti-state, I can say. Yeah. But it's funny because if we are talking about the mob, mm, uh, the mafia, it's hard to distinguish a mobster for a common person. I mean, they look clean and I can say polite <laughs> and uh, they just don't go around stealing money from somebody's pocket. But they are worse than pickpocketers. The problem with, with the Roman people is that like they are flashing. I mean and, and everybody is perceiving them as a danger. I saw that for example if I am waiting for a, a subway train and uh, a group of them arrives you see that people like opens like the Red Seas when they come because they don't want to have nothing to do with, with, with them. They are like alien, you know, so it's, it's, it's hard. They, they, uh, you can recognize them at uh, first glance and uh, it's difficult to, to cope with this big difference uh, in terms of loyalty to the rules and making them a real part of the society body. But if you live in Rome, if I were to be here for a number of years and got more savvy, understood more Italian, I would be able to tell somebody who was in the mafia too, just by looking at them. Or no? Yes. Not just looking at, at them, but speaking with them. Forget about, you know, the, the, the kind of look that they have, like, you know, the, this, this uh, black tie and uh, black suit, the borsalino on, on their head. Uh, it's not the way anymore. You can recognize them by the kind of live that they do. I mean, it's impossible here. In Italy, the, the, the idea of a self-made man is very uncommon. We have few self-made men here, like Silvio Berlusconi is probably the most famous of them. But it's so hard to escape to the uh, fiscal system, to the, to the taxation system in Italy, that if you suddenly came out with a huge fortune, it's clear that this fortune is coming from somewhere that is not so clear. When somebody is not able to justify or to explain, not to justify, to explain uh, the origin of the fortune, probably you have, it's better if you step, uh, if, if you take a step back from that. Can you explain Berlusconi to the rest of the world how he got into power and how he maintained power for such a long period of time while acting? I mean, we now have Donald Trump in the United States, so we're, we're starting to understand more, but he was constantly acting like a clown and, and like a playboy in public. So how did he last for so long? Uh, actually, it's funny that um, uh, something is happening before in Italy than in the, in the, in the United <laughs> yeah. States. But, but We're following your example. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, actually, I wonder that people is wondering how he could last so, so long. Why he wouldn't? I mean, the Italian people is, since the very beginning of its history, is always 
looking for a strong man. Um, I'm not only talking about Mussolini, obviously, which is the first figure that you can... But after Mussolini, we have a couple of figures like Bettino Craxi, uh, which is the socialist leader during the 80s, uh, who was very charismatic and very strong and very uh, decisionist. So he just did what he would and... and it, the Italian political system and the Italian political society is such a mess that every time a strong leader came out, everybody is, re- is, is ready to follow him. Stop considering Silvio Berlusconi different from Matteo Renzi, which is the actual prime minister in Italy. They have the same grip on people. They are fascinating, but they, just in, in, in a very simple way, I can do that. Okay, do you need um, uh, a stronger economy? I can do that. Do you need more job? I can do that. If for the Obama campaign, the slogan was, yes, we can. In Italy, a strong leader slogan would be, yes, I can. Because the Italian people need somebody who reassured them. I mean, uh, we uh, we have underemployment, we have problem with the high taxation, we have problem, any kind of problem, okay, I can solve it. I am the right man. Berlusconi was, has everything he needs to win. He was funny, he was reassuring, he was cool, he was rich, he was full of beautiful women. I mean, why he <laughs> wouldn't win? And uh, yes, probably he left the country in in a pool of blood <laughs> but, but the only reason is why that this happened was there was nobody else strong enough or charismatic enough to do what he has done don't forget that in the G8 of 2009 if I don't remember in L'Aquila he was able to organize a, a leader summit in a town that was that was in ruin for a earthquake that happened like a couple of months before. I mean, it sounds like a miracle. He was just offering himself like the man of the miracle. And this country is always looking for the man of the miracle. Mm. And now we have another man of the miracle. And I, I think that in 20 years we will have another one. It's a... Unfortunately, I don't know if this tape will last for for 20 years, but in 2035, we will have another strong leader in Italy. We'll see if you're right. Emerging. (laughs) Yes. Well, thank you for talking to me. You're welcome, and it was a pleasure for me, and I hope that my English was good enough for our... (laughs) (laughs) we We were joking that... What I should ask you is, why are you my only Italian friend (laughs) in the whole year that I came here? I jokingly said that to Derek, my husband, and he said, probably because you can't speak Italian. (laughs) (laughs) So you are much better than me. Thank you very much, and uh, have fun. All right, until next time, bye. We welcome your questions and your feedback. Reach the show by emailing bittersweetlife at mail.com. That's bittersweetlife at mail.com.